Nazia Katoon, welcome to the show, Brain Health Unchaining Your Pain. It's just such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining me. So for our listeners, <laughs> for, for our listeners, just tell us a little bit about yourself. So um, my name is Nazia Katoon. Um, I'm actually a fitness coach using neuroscience combined with fitness um, and getting people to love themselves on a deeper level and using fitness to actually, um, it's a weird one when people hear this, but it's actually using fitness, um, using fitness to help people heal their past traumas and getting them to live in the best version of themselves. And I've been doing this for the last 10 years. And it's just understanding what my needs were first and putting this program out to females that look like me, that can relate to me and my experiences as well. Um, so it's been a journey and a half. So I'm excited to speak about this and actually meeting you as well, Dr. Ruth. Yeah, thank you. So no, it's such a pleasure. So this show is all about brain health. And I know we've got so many things to talk about from a brain health mm. perspective, which I'm really excited to dive into. But for you, in the context of your experiences, what does optimal brain health mean for you? We actually, it's a, it's a really different question that I'm asked today compared to what we speak about all the time with mental health and stuff. And I think in my experience of understanding what brain health is, it's the psychological um, understanding of where we are in our mindset of our brain, the cognitive behavior, why we do the things that we do. Um, understanding how we can actually make ourselves become better than what we already are by tapping into this beautiful organ that has been studied um, by amazing people out there. And it's, I, for me, it's understanding why am I doing what I'm doing from what's going on up here. And everything's literally, if we can untap whatever's up here, we can be whoever we want to be, what we've been destined to be. The potential really and truly of each one of us individually. Does I think it's just, your question? Oh yeah, totally. And I think it's a, no, not many people really do talk about our brain and you're right, it's an organ and it's really the organ that, that runs our whole life. And, and we don't yeah. often take that time to think about it in the context yeah. of, of an organ and the importance of it in terms of our cognitive thoughts, our psychology, our, mm. our biological makeup of our brain. There's so many different facets to yeah. our brain health um, and we don't take the time to talk about it. I think it's really important. And the great thing that I always think about from a, a brain health perspective is we don't, there's no label when you talk about brain health. It, we, you just said it perfectly, it's, it's the organ and we're talking mm. about the organ, not about the person, and making yeah. sure with the organ that we optimize it to get the best out of it so we can unleash that superpower that we have Absolutely. inside our mind. And, um, and, you know, really interested to talk about your perspective on mental health, because that's just a yeah. subset really of, of the topic of brain health. Yeah. Um, and it's very easy to label people sometimes um by using the word mental health rather than just looking at the organ and mm. uh, and understanding what the struggle is with that organ so so could you tell our listeners you know i know you've had some brain health struggles in yeah. your in your past what 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 have you what have you found from your journey what's been the the biggest uh piece of your journey that's helped you step into the person you are now 
I think the biggest piece is understanding that language has a huge impact on how I operate on a day-to-day -day basis. We were brought up in a society and a culture where we're constantly being told who we have to be by this external factor, whether it's our parents, whether it's you know, this cultural, religion, whatever it is. And we're taught a specific vocabulary that defines us. And when I learned that we are more than what we are in our identity, me as a woman being Muslim, me as a woman being Bangladeshi, Asian, um, coming from a background where we have these expectations and stepping out of the linear narrative, the stereotype, breaking those barriers i finally found a way of actually breathing again being able to accept myself and again i come back to this word called identity we struggle with our identities a lot and um, one of the biggest ever memories i have of me understanding brain health was when i was going through depression i mm -hmm. used to be a very happy I was the light of the room, um, being mm -hmm. a big personality, being very bubbly, and I was very much into my sports. And depression came in a really, it's a, it's a really crazy experience when depression hits you and you're in denial of it. But coming out of that darkness was actually teaching myself how to speak to myself kindly. And we don't speak enough about this in certain cultures or societies because it's an unheard thing. Where you just said brain health, we call it mental health. And we mm -hmm. have an issue with this word. I have an issue with this word, but I still use it because it's what the wider audience understand what a mental health mm -hmm. is. If we can mm -hmm. call it a different thing like you just did, a brain health, maybe we will be more um, understanding and more compassionate to understand that we're all the same but not the same and how we operate from that is how we become at the end of it as well but going back to your question um every day is like a revelation if i don't do the basic things for my brain health i know i will struggle i know by the end of the week i'm either gonna have a crazy wild exciting week or i've had a very dull negative week and it's from the point of how I'm speaking to myself, how am I nourishing myself? What mm -hmm. foods am I using? Again, I don't think a lot of people <laughs> understand again <laughs> what is brain food. And I say this Absolutely. all the time. Optimize your prefrontal co cortex by eating the foods that you need to. The more junk you put into your body, you're not just putting it into your body. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's your brain that's relating to that as well. And yeah. I always come back to this one thing. Um, understand that when you eat a burger, you're not going to feel good. But when you eat a piece of apple, you feel good. Why do people feel good when they eat good food? There's a reason behind it. Yeah. So that's my journey with it so far. And I'm still learning every single day. I think we never stop learning. Yeah. And I think, you know, I really relate to you from the depression. Did it creep up on you? Did it? Did it kind of... Did you suddenly find you were in it or was there a trigger or did it was it a sort of slow creep where you went for that really happy person mm. into into that depressive state how did it transpire for you if i'm actually truly honest with myself i probably had been living with depression for a long time but uh -huh. i sugarcoated it with being fake with happiness i struggled with an eating disorder at a very young age uh -huh. 17. I mean, if you think about it, that depleted everything a full optimizing brain should be working at, at yeah. that age as well. 
Um, and it's a revelation. Every time I understand this, I'm like, wow, it makes sense the way I was growing up, angry, volatile, horrible, nasty. Not to myself. I mean, yeah. I was my biggest ever punishment to myself, but people around me as well. And then I was a sports person. I, I was addicted to fitness. I was a boxer growing up. Then I stopped yeah. boxing for a couple of years. Life happened in my 20s. You know, you're trying to find a way. Yeah. You're trying to become something, but you're not sure who and yeah. what you're trying to be. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, it's really hard. Yeah, and at the same time, you're trying to conform to what your parents want and then you don't want to conform and that's my story anyway rebelling against these acts this order and everything and at the age of 30 I took a very um big step to become a fitness coach and again that wasn't something that was um how do I say it it wasn't the norm back then 10 years ago for an Asian female to be a fitness coach you know we were very encouraged to be um doctors accountants get married have the 2.4 children and that depression creeped up within me in that time when I was transitioning into a fitness coach and turning into my 30s, you know, the new chapter. Mm -hmm. And by the time I got sight of it, it was too late. It was like, okay, now yeah. what do I do? But and what were you, did, did, did you notice any war? I know people sort of, for me, it kind of, it was a slow and gradual process and I, I ended up, um, uh, having suicidal thoughts was the final mm. point for me to to t really take action but did did you notice shifts mm. in yourself or or did it take an ex somebody else or something to for you to 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 take that step to to say okay now I'm I need to take action actually it was weird because I googled the symptoms of depression and uh -huh. I showcased every signs of it and I was in dinner I knew I was depressed I knew I needed help I knew I probably needed more help I was crying out for help but it was done in arguments anger um, all the symptoms that you do when you don't know how to express yourself yeah and there was my dreams showed me I was struggling way before I could admit it which was a crazy thing I never never I wasn't never scared of heights until uh -huh. I used to have dreams of me committing suicide off tall buildings and I used to like wake up in sweats jerking in my sleep um you know when you just have this spasm of like you're you're dying but you're like oh shit I'm actually awake it's okay I'm in my bed <laughs> and it was one of the most um I don't know, for me, I felt really humiliated going through that time in my life because it was me. It was Nazia who was the boxer. Everybody wanted to be like me, around me. I was like this hot girl. Everybody wanted to come and yeah. know in the boxing ring. I was a showcase person, you know. I was yeah. A very eccentric, how do you say it? Eccentric? Extrovert person. Yeah. Eccentric. Yeah, and all of a sudden, I just became very withdrawal, introverted, and just in my head a lot. And it was sad because I couldn't help myself and I couldn't allow my family to help me. And then when I did finally admit that I was having suicidal thoughts, it took a lot out of me. It made me yeah. very vulnerable and very fragile. And it's hard to explain it to people who don't understand it. 
Yeah. And how did you, what did you do? What was the real step? When did you take that first step? Because we always talk about sometimes people think they have to do something big to get out of a really dark place. But what was what were the steps that you took? It's really crazy because during my depression time, I still kept up with the fitness. The fitness uh -huh. really helped me. Right. I could have spent, yeah, I spent probably every day three hours in the gym, which probably wasn't the greatest thing to do. But for me at that time, it was the only things that kept the happy chemicals going. It was the uh -huh. only thing that I didn't think about being sad. It was the only time I focused on working out, yeah. going through the pain. But I do also remember being in the gym. I used that as a beautiful, it was a beautiful tool for me not to give up. If I gave up in the gym, I feel like I had given up outside of the gym. Right. I, I, I said this to somebody the other day. I go, I know it sounds crazy, but I used to set myself a time. Like for 30 minutes, I would kill myself to finish this task, whether it was a run, um, a sprint, whatever the machine was. I had to win. I couldn't stop. Uh -huh. And my mentality was, if I gave up now, I'm giving up on myself outside. It was almost like having a spiritual death in the gym to find myself outside of the gym. And I always thank myself for that time because I did it without any knowledge or without any education of what I was doing and rehearsing myself to do. But if I didn't have the gym at that time, I probably wouldn't be here right now. I truly believe that if I didn't have that wow. outlet. Um, so and what, was, what was the outlet for? Just really interested in that word, the outlet, because that mm. it, how did you did it help you release anger? You talked yeah. about anger and frustration. Was it was it your release mechanism or was it your did it fill your bucket up or did it help empty or did it do a bit of both? It actually emptied my bucket, the bucket of negativity and not liking myself. Uh -huh. being, it's not connected to myself. And when I used uh -huh. to go to the gym, I almost felt like there was a tension that was just being released. Right. And I was okay. I was that showcase person again. I was The emotions, nobody judged it in the gym. The gym didn't judge me in the gym like the people outside did. Yeah. So it didn't matter whether I went in happy one day, sad the next day. It took care of all those emotions by making me feel better. And don't so it's like wrong. your safety net. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't a mechanism I could rely on. <laughs> all <the time>. <laughs> <laughs> so was, did you have to go to the gym to get that release? Or did you did you find ways, if the gym wasn't there, would it be, because uh, I know we are really keen to talk about lockdown and the impact of mm -hmm. lockdown. But did did you find it was a it you had to go somewhere to get the release and that gym was your safe haven or could you mm -hmm. find a safe haven at home to help you with the that release that you needed? So during the depression time, the gym was yeah. the only thing I knew, and, and that was the immature nausea. You only use that tool as a mechanism okay. to survive. Yeah. But when you understand, uh, when I studied the whole course on neuroscience, specifically associated to fitness, um, yeah. there was other things I was practicing, like meditation, yeah. gratitude journal was one of my biggest ever saviors, writing a letter to myself, um, buying flowers for myself. And these are all the things outside of the gym that we need to practice as well. Even yeah. have a good night's sleep. 
Yeah. Take so, them all our worries. <laughs> yeah, I do gratitude journaling every day, and I've never yeah. ever done it before I became a a brain health um, professional. And, I, and you don't realise the power of it, do you? Until you start absolutely doing yeah. it, it's, it's it's a kind of like going to the gym in a way, but a gym for your for your mind as well absolutely. as for your body, isn't it? Yeah, and recently I've just moved into a new apartment, and I'm by myself here. And this is where I can really deteriorate, being away from a big family, being away uh -huh. from my connections. And I realized the gratitude journal combined with lots of prayer, combined with self-talk, affirmations. Affirmations was a huge thing for me as well. Um, I feel more connected to the source than ever before. Yeah. Like that worry of being alone, that fear, whatever that fear was, somehow has made a disappearance every now and then again will visit me but I just know how to take care of it so I'm uh -huh. not relying fully on the fitness because our body also wears out three hours every single day is not possible longevity <laughs> and as we get older as well we have to respect the body we have to respect um that it's not a machine so no it isn't there's so many things combined together that we have to understand that helps us, especially for our yeah. brain, healthy brain as well. Yeah. And I know we, you talked about earlier your, your past trauma. Would you be willing to divulge any of that? Uh, most of the trauma came from, I guess, um, this is a weird one, but I'm sure people who can relate to me can understand this, this pressure of marriage in my culture okay. as well. That was one of them, but before that, it was eating disorder. The yeah, eating okay. disorder was something that was never spoken about in a community. Mm -hmm. It was seen, and it probably still is seen as a Western Caucasian female issue just by how we see the presentation of fitness and diet and everything mm -hmm. in magazines and social mag social media, sorry. So having gone through an eating disorder, um, you know, it's, it's a very crazy time for a teenager coming into her 20s as well. So going through something. Did it, did it, did it start when you were, it started when you were a teen, didn't it? Your eating disorder? Yeah, 16, 17. Yeah. Do you, do you remember how it started? I have, I've, because uh, I've obviously listened to some of your other interviews. Do you, can you just tell people um, who, who don't know how it really manifested? Do you know? Would you mind yeah, doing that? Yeah, lots of things. The biggest thing was looking at magazines and feeling like I wasn't pretty enough. I wanted to look okay. like this woman. And it was the most unrealistic images. <laughs> like I said, again, magazine covers mostly in the Western countries of white Caucasian females. I'm not white. And I'm looking at these females like Britney Spears. And I'm yeah. thinking I want that six pack. I want that waistline. And us being from a, a Bangladeshi background, we have curves. We have a chest. And it was the wrong thing to look at. Yeah. Obviously, I know it now. Back then, I was young. You don't know it. And then you also don't know about photoshops, shopping, yeah. all that editing that goes on. That was one of my triggers. But the real trigger was probably, <laughs> it's so shameful to admit this, going into college. Um, and there was boys. All of a sudden, I'm mixed with boys. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm this big, ugly, fat, teenager amongst these petite females that were my friends 
I wasn't uh-huh. gaining attention and I thought the only way to be liked by boys, <laughs> again, I say, it's crazy. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, this is what thing? kids go through. It's what you go through when you're a teenager, isn't it? This is what, what yeah. we all experience um, to a certain degree. Yeah, so that was one of the things, two of the things, actually, to be liked by boys. And then you uh-huh. have this at home, probably, but relatives, you get these comments or you're getting a bit healthy, shouldn't be reducing your food intake. Asian people are not nice when it comes to being blunt about somebody else's appearance. (laughs) Okay. And so uh, what would you, based on what you know now, because you've been on this amazing transformational journey, what advice would you give your 16-year-old self before um, you got into this eating disorder, before that eating disorder was triggered? What advice would you you give to yourself or give to give to parents who have kids who they're worrying about my 16 year old self probably needed a lot of love uh-huh probably needed a lot of affection and self-belief uh-huh. i look back at it and it's trickled throughout my adult life and i still face those moments of self-doubt lack of self-belief sometimes Uh no matter how much I do the work you still revert back to the old old patterns of who your original were yeah I would probably say to my 16 year old self just I wish there was someone there to teach me how to love myself yeah it would have been a bit more easier yeah and 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 what what advice would you give to parents or friends of people who they they're concerned that somebody might might have have an eating disorder because I know it's such a taboo topic, isn't it? Just mm. generally, and obviously, particularly um, for for being Bangladeshi and that your your culture. What what advice mm. would you give to people who are concerned? I think the first advice I give to parents is leave your child alone. That's the okay. main one. Let them be who they want to be. We're not here uh-huh. to mould our children. I'm not a mum yet. I'm not here to project what I want from my child because I didn't do it or mold them into something that I want. You have to give them freedom. Um, The second advice I would give to parents, and I get this all the time, is talk to your child. We don't speak to our children in the way that we need to and ask Uh them what's going on. Children need a lot of reassurance. Children need to be told that they're loved all the time. Children mm-hmm. need to be told that they are safe all the time as well. And when you grow up not having these concepts in your everyday life, you always feel like there's something wrong. There's always something missing. So that's really important for parents as well. Mm-hmm. It's having that quality time, that really dedicated time to yeah. show the child that they are loved and you love them and that they absolutely have the opportunity to love themselves so so on my knife for my background i struggled through my teenage years for very different reasons but for, for you when you when you realized you were developing this eating disorder what, what happened what happened next um i thought i had got over it by the time mm-hmm. I was in my 30s. But I don't think you ever get over an eating disorder, Dr. Ruth. I don't care how old you are, it somehow stays. 
I don't know, it's like this small bit of present that stays in your brain up here of, mm-hmm. am I still good enough? Mm-hmm. Um, have I become fat? Those more negative thoughts come up every now and then again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I manage it. I have mm-hmm. learned that I have got over the past, but I still have traits of my eating disorders, even today as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, I either overcompensate with the exercise sometimes, mm-hmm. or I'm under eating or overeating. And it's an everyday work that you have to do to mm-hmm. make sure that food is in place, especially as women as well, when we are going through a monthly cycle, if you're a mom, mm-hmm. new mom, fueling your body and mind is so important. And one of the key things I've learned in COVID as well is establishing a routine that works for me because COVID just bled it all up again. Mm-hmm. Like mentally, I was perfectly doing well. All the years of the work, I was able mm-hmm. to thrive rather than just survive. And I realized I was binge eating a lot and I was like, okay, <laughs> you deserve this. So did you know what the trigger was for that? Did you did anxiety? Okay, anxiety, anxiety. A lot of it was anxiety and um, not knowing that uncertainty. So you're feeding this emotion. So okay, it's emotional. Yeah, (laughs) medication in in essence. I mean, I I I use eating to to balance my emotions. My default is chocolate, and I I I have to keep. Jaffa cakes. <laughs> if you if you know, for those people who might not know what they are, <laughs> these orange biscuits, are orange top, aren't they? And there's sort of cake bottom covered in chocolate, and I could devour a whole packet yeah. um, without a thought. So I I can't buy them. But for, obviously, for you, what what is it for you that you 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 find is is a real you know creates that trigger? You said anxiety, and then and then. How do you deal with it? So repeat that question again, Dr. Ruth. I didn't catch you. No, that's okay. So, so when you have uh, when you have this anxiety, and you know you you've you've noticed yourself binge eating. How do you mm. how do you how do you take back control again? Oh, okay. Um, always fitness. Everything. Fitness. Is, <laughs> <laughs> everything is resolved in the gym. When I know things now, I can pay attention to the days and the months, what's been ignored? What emotion am I not paying attention to? Ah, okay. If I know I'm not paying attention to it, I know I'm gonna have a anxiety disorder or breakdown of emotion somewhere along the line. Or it's like that volcano that erupts, right? So there's a saying, (laughs) yeah. So there's a saying that we have, it's like your thoughts become your feelings and your feelings then become your reality. So take care of your thoughts first and then the outcome is easier. Yeah. And we become depressed because we repress those emotions which then become suppressed, that leads to the depression. So talking about whatever that's bothering me is actually so important. And it's funny because females talk 10 times more than men. And yet we can't talk about the things that really bother us. So I'm either doing a gratitude journal like religiously day and night or I'm dumping all my thoughts on paper and then to share my vulnerability with people that I truly trust and understand me is very important as well. Um, But if I do have those days when I'm truly anxious, I need to safeguard myself. 
I need to understand what's bothering me. Even the somebody's voice can annoy me and I get irritated yeah. or it's the slightest thing and it's not them, it's just me at that moment in time. So yeah. it's just meditating a lot, um, taking myself away from social circles, um, telling yeah. friends, look, I would love to listen to you right now, but no, I don't want to take any more negativity <laughs> than I have to. <laughs> and I like spending time by myself as well. So it's nice just to be able to pick myself up, um, go somewhere, take a long walk without the need of having other people around me. I think that's what makes somebody elitely dangerous when they can do things by themselves as well. <laughs> I love being with myself. I find it important to get that uh, personal time because you can get overwhelmed, yeah. can't you, with all of the the social media pressures, the, you know, external pressures, and it just becomes too much and then you, your yeah. fuse is easy to blow. So I, I, one thing I really love doing, because um, I never really thought about my emotions, they just come and go, don't they? And we don't, don't often yeah. check in with them. And I always love yeah. to really write down my emotions at the end of each day because they always surprise me. <laughs> So you always yeah, surprise definitely. me as to how I'm feeling. And I know yeah. you mentioned like often with depression, you suppress them, don't you? You don't acknowledge them. You just try and bury them. And it kind of makes it worse because you push it into that volcano and eventually it erupts. Yeah. Um, but I, I love to check in with them and get curious, not furious with them. Yeah, um, because you because yeah, you always get surprised and then you can understand, well, why am I, why am I feeling this yeah. way? What is causing me to feel this way? So, so you mentioned anxiety is like the big, big trigger yeah. for your for for you binge eating. Um, how, what are the big winners for you in terms of managing your anxiety? I know you mentioned exercise was your real go-to. You talked about meditation, gratitude journaling. Mm. Is there anything else that you? Yeah, I. I think affirmations has to be a big one. Oh, yeah. I think this is where I learned the crutch of how language plays a huge, uh -huh. um, it's a huge role in the way we function. Um, and I don't know if you know Marissa Pierce, one of the I do, yeah. In, yeah. So one of the most beautiful stories I have um, knowing Marissa Pierce is when I was actually at one of my worst moments. And one of the things I used to do was go to networking events just to keep up my confidence uh -huh. and just to say I can still have this social skill. And there was that one day I didn't want to go and it was an event called Yes Group. It was a back to Tony Robbins, things that they have, seminars. And Marissa Pierce was on stage that day. And I, I remember she was speaking about this affirmation of I am enough and why we do destructive things, why popsters, celebrities, rich people um, overdose themselves, have an addiction, is because at the core they don't feel enough. And that yeah. was a penny drop moment for me. And automatically, I'm not kidding with you, Dr. Reed, that <laughs> night something huge shifted in my thoughts and my brain because the next day I reduced my gym hour by three hours to one hour. It was uh -huh. almost like a penny drop moment of, holy crap, this is why I went through the eating disorder. This is why I'm boxing. This is why I'm doing sports. Hang on a minute. The fitness industry has destroyed me, actually, at the same time as well. 
right? As much as it Do you feel like you were punishing yourself using it as a punishment tool or all the time. All All the time, time. yeah. One hundred percent. And it's crazy because something that you love so much underneath it was a source of punishing yourself for not being good enough, not looking Mm -hmm. good enough, not feeling pretty enough. And I remember her affirmations was the thing that I learned and I regurgitated in my sleep waking up. And I had a book of all the affirmations that I wanted to become. And I started understanding more about the quantum physics, the law of attraction, mm-hmm. how the mind works, how the third eye works, how we can manifest quickly. And it was all like such a beautiful journey of everything connecting of how God plays into my life, faith, everything, and everything I was searching for was already there, and I just missed it, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So I know you use that affirmation, I I am enough. Are there any other ones that you find super powerful that, you know, really light that fire inside and help you let go? Um, I am strong. I am amazing. I am enough. I am amazing. I am amazing. I'm enough. Those are my three mm. go-to ones. But it all depends mm. on what we want to do. Like if the circumstance, on, yeah. 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 If I'm going on stage, it will change. If I'm doing something, it will change just to calm yeah. my nerves. So can you tell us a bit about your journey into boxing? Because I know you, you, you're a teen and you had this, you know, went through the struggle with your eating disorder and then you transitioned into mm. boxing. How did that transpire? Do you want the not, do you want to know the real story behind it of course we have to go real here (laughs) let's get get deep (laughs) i'm the eldest out of five brothers and sisters and i was very angry growing up very volatile out of all my siblings i used to beat them up on a regular basis Uh um it's so sad to admit this and i'm not saying this because i'm proud of it um, mm-hmm. It's something I'm always regretful of and shameful of growing up. Um, boxing was something that became an outlet for my aggression. I was a okay. very temperamental, fiery um, teenager um, that couldn't understand. I guess all teenagers are, but when you're from an Asian <laughs> society, Ruth, you're not meant to have any of those emotions. And boxing was a beautiful expression expressional way for me just to release again mm-hmm. and it came from because I was injuring myself all the time in the gym from excessive running and mm-hmm. there was another point where I interviewed Muhammad Ali's daughter called Leila Ali at my college mm-hmm. and I felt inspired that I can do it as well but it was a very defining period for me um, to understand like resilience um, not giving up on myself being disciplined, um, you know, having that structure gave me a lot of, how should I say, the purpose to live on an everyday basis in my 20s. I hated going to work. I hated the nine mm-hmm. to five job. I hated <laughs> being told what to do, being in a smart shirt, trying to wear these high heels. I couldn't even walk in properly. So that was a beautiful time for me to channel my energy, that aggression mm-hmm. actually. But I didn't mm. know how to recuperate that energy back. So I was just okay. giving, 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 giving without learning how to bring it back it to back. yourself. Yeah. yeah. But I've learned now that I can do that. So 
So how? So I I love this topic because we all have emotions, and mm -hmm. and it, I sort of see emotions as a wave, and we, it's a it's acknowledging there's a wave coming, and sometimes the wave is huge, sometimes it's a little ripple, but that they can stack, and and knowing how to, learning how to ride the wave and not fight the wave of emotions mm. so that so that you're leveraging it for, for your benefit because emotions are just a signal to tell us that we need to do something it's our mm. body signaling us that something needs to happen um so you leverage boxing as your way of riding that wave of emotion and and, and releasing it and, and letting it dissipate um so mm. how do you do how do you manage that in those emotions the anger the frustration how do you manage it now? What, what is your mechanism now to do that? I let it be now. I mean, I don't get okay. as angry as I used to be before, but I do know I have those days where I'm just engulfed with pessimistic thoughts, negativity, uh -huh. and I write it. And there was a beautiful saying, I think it was Donald Walsh, she said it, feelings are the language of the soul. So we have to pay attention to it and deal with it. Absolutely. Most of the times, I was running away from a lot of things when I was at uh -huh. my, how shall I say, the peak of being an athlete. And that uh -huh. was an outlet to define who I was. And understanding that all of us are all nobodies. <laughs> We're just dust and little atoms of energy and all that kind of stuff. I don't have to prove anything to myself. I own the flaws, I own uh -huh. the, the good parts of me, uh -huh. the sad parts of me. And it's just every day, we just, this is what, this is the experience of what it means to be a human, is yeah. feeling. <laughs> and yeah. We sugarcoat these feelings by overeating, by overexercising, drugs, alcohol, porn, you name it. Those are, those are people's vices. My vice yeah. is the gym. Yeah, but I've also noticed I can respect those emotions. I have a gym workout for those emotions. If I'm angry, I'll have an angry workout. If I'm sad, <laughs> I'll just not work out because you can't force it. You can't force yeah. anything. But again, I think it boils down to honoring the parts of me that need to be honored and just respecting that it's there and it's not going to be there every day. I need to work on it. Uh -huh. It's like you know, parenting yourself again, isn't it? It's like <laughs> that child, giving that child a hug. It's a hard it work. Is. It is hard work and it's a constant It's a constant uh, practice that we have to do. You don't just wake up in the morning and now, oh, I've got all self-care all done. I'm done and dusted with self-care. It's, <laughs> it's a daily practice, isn't work. it? You, it's, it's, not, it's not like walking up a mountain and saying, I've done it and then that's, and then that's it box ticking yeah. exercise so yeah I think it's so important and I think it's fascinating how uh you know you describe use I for me exercise is massively important if I don't do exercise my mood you know my husband knows <laughs> my mood really dips so I have yeah. to do exercise um to keep to keep myself topped up um with it with yeah. a, a you know serotonin and dopamine and all the good neurotransmitters that help our brain stay happy and healthy. Um, yeah. So I'd love to know, 
you know, we talked a little bit about mental health and 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 how it needs to change. Uh, that you know, having open conversations. What do you think is is missing in terms of from your experience and the and the cultural background that you have? What do you think's missing in in those conversations that aren't being had? What do you think? I think, and instinctively, to answer that question is not enough people talking about it mm -hmm. and when people do talk about it it's almost seen as the worst crime talking about that you're experiencing with bad emotions mm -hmm. um so that's one and then the other thing is teaching people how to overcome it like mm -hmm. this is what when i show up on my instagram i show every side of me i don't care how people perceive me I don't care if they think I'm unstable or I'm high or low. I know I'm okay. I know everybody goes through this. Yeah. And I, before anybody can say and hit me back with anything, I hit it back myself. So you have no comeback for me. <laughs> I'm guarded. <laughs> okay. Just go straight there with that. With yeah. That yeah. I'll cover every aspect of that day and what's going on. But I'll always show people that how the how part of how I'm overcoming it. I'll stay yeah. in silence if I have to. I won't show up maybe for a few days. It's how yeah. to deal with it. And that's what everybody wants is learning the how yeah. to deal with it. The how to do and it. I guess one of the reasons why I have become so good at training clients as well is yeah. my experience um, learning why Fitness Reborn was created, was to show people if I can do it, so can you right yeah. i'm just like you and i'm like anybody else out there i've just learned how to step it up if i want something i know i can get it if i know i'm going through turmoil i know what tools what therapists to go to who to talk to what to do a lot mm -hmm. of people don't like if you think about covid and the high suicidal rates that we're facing in the uk now and how mental mm -hmm. health has crazy spiraled out of control if mm. these people were taught how to deal with those emotions before covid i think we would have been in such a better place now without these statistics yeah. hitting the room. you don't get that teaching in school do you or or it just doesn't exist absolutely not and the other thing is i'm very big on self-love and again we're not taught this i don't think it matters what background you are what race you're from what religion you're from yeah in a bubble when we go to school we only taught certain things and i taught this to a secondary school year nines like it was a module of nine weeks what is self-love dissecting it at year nine and it was so important to elevate their self-confidence self-esteem mm -hmm. so self everything self-value self-worth and that mm -hmm. helps every one of us navigate through life and that's what we're doing is navigating through life <laughs> trying to master ourselves in the highs and the lows yeah, and I think every day is a lesson, isn't it? Every, we can learn something from ourselves every day, but it's really hard to learn from ourselves if we don't check in, don't check in with ourselves. And we, and I think so many people often don't take that time. I certainly did it myself. Uh, take the time to check in. You know, I, I you know, blissfully uh, unaware or ignorantly unaware of the importance of food, which we talked about. And food yeah. is fuel for the brain, on it, or it hurts your brain and body. And um, so, I know you talked in a 
uh, in another in interview, I'm really interested to explore this, is that you talked about when you were really physically strong, you were emotionally vulnerable. Could, could you just yeah. explain a bit more about that? How did that yeah. transpire? I always say this, when I was at my physical best, I was the strongest and mentally I was the weakest. And now okay. it's turned out the way around. Like my mindset, you cannot mess about with my mindset right now, right? <laughs> compared, <laughs> compared to the old version of me, right? Yeah. And physically, I'm okay. I'm not creating a monster physique out there or trying to get yeah. the six packs. And what I mean by that is, and I said this yesterday as well, let's take yesterday's clip as an example <laughs> um, <laughs> on Instagram. We have come to a society where we spend thousands, thousands of money. The plastic surgeons out there are making a killing out there by changing people's appearance. And yet, time after time, these surgeons are seeing these patients to fix something else. If I wanted yeah. my nose to be done and I've got it done, why am I still going back? Why am I still unhappy? And yeah. Maxwell, I think his name was Maxwell Waltz, cybernetics. He speaks about yes. he speaks about the self image. Yeah, I've got the book. I'm reading the book. You're psycho cybernetics. <laughs> that actually, it's brilliant. Actually, I forgot to mention. I read that or listened to it at a time when I was going through depression. That was a very helpful psychological mm. thing. I never went to any other workshops when I did this neuroscience and read that audio ever again. And it's one of the most. Um, beneficial things for every human being to listen to. And he says it in there, um, people come back again, it's because they haven't done the internal, it, internal work. And unless we yeah. do the internal work, we will never be happy with the way we look. And we'll spend that, yeah. that money again and again and again. And if you really pay attention to it, what does it mean? It means doing the shadow work. It means doing the inner work of staying with yourself, true to yourself. It's honoring mm -hmm. those feelings, those emotions. And I feel like those are the things that make us a better human being, externally mm. and internally. So yeah, that's what I meant by that. Mm, great. And you, you mentioned self-worth a lot. Did you feel that through much of your uh, your childhood, you, did, your, you didn't value yourself or you didn't feel that you were worthy? Mm, 100%. Yeah. 100%. I think it's a really big, big topic, you know, that psychological self-worth. And we don't take that time really do we to no. to really get to the to the root of that at all yeah um i don't know about other cultures but in the bangladeshi the indian the south asian culture the moment we are here on planet earth we're alive it's almost like um this narrative that we're born into this narrative is you're born you're going to go to school you're going to go to study get a job get married have children and that's it that is your life written out for you and every now and then again somebody will come up and disrupt that equilibrium as i as i say it and somebody mm -hmm. has to do it and for mm -hmm. me i did it in the wrong way and for me i did it in the most volatile way without even realizing maybe i was shaking my own linear narrative i didn't do it for anybody else i did it for me mm -hmm. and I didn't want to settle. I didn't have any desire to be average. I didn't have any desire to fit in. And mm -hmm. people call it the black sheep. 
<laughs> and I can, I can see so many of my friends that I have now, how we all attracted one another because mm-hmm. our thinking is different and what we want out of the world is different. So mm-hmm. it's important for all of us to learn how to own who we are mm-hmm. and encourage that part of us as well to show up and show the world that mm-hmm. we exist. And how would you, you know, obviously it sounds to me as if there's like quite a lot of anger kind of manifesting built up maybe over your life because of this cultural expectation. What would you mm. say to other people who are in, you know, in the similar position to yourself who want to break free from that cultural norm Mm -hmm. as it were uh, and be different and and be their own person and do what they want to do and not be beholden to uh, Mm. cultural or societal norms and they want want to be their own person what would you say just be you and (laughs) like i yeah, I know it sounds so, like, what does it mean to be me? Do what you want to do. I, I didn't tell my parents I was boxing for at least a year and a half, maybe. Uh-huh. I kept telling them I was going to the gym. But the moment my father found out, my mother found out, they weren't happy about it, right? They were scared for my safety. It's a male-dominated sport. Yeah. You know, they were they were very occupied with what other people would think. <laughs> yeah. a dream killer, by the way. Um, it takes courage, to do what you want it takes courage to be who you are um, yeah i don't think people understand just how brave you have to be to do some of the things that you know you're destined to do when i look back mm-hmm. at my journey and i think i've held on for 10 whole years how come i haven't crumbled i am so passionate about my work i'm so um in tune with who i am i'm not giving it up for anyone nobody's pleasure but my pleasure <laughs> comes first that's <laughs> and brilliant thought, and people might think oh selfish i go yeah it is selfish you're not coming to the grave with me are you i'm living this life by myself and everything experience i have is just a bonus right yeah and people find it oh that's crazy but hey well i think it's important though because you know you've got to love yourself and you've got to love what you do and if you're mm. not enjoying it then then you you're not serving yourself are you and that service yeah. of, to yourself needs to come first because you can't serve others effectively I if you're that. not serving yeah. yourself and i think we forget that don't we we selfish is is good thing it's good to be selfish because you're actually not being selfish yeah, because you're, you're, you're selfless because you're looking after yourself, which yeah. gives you more power to help others. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, how do you think, I, I know we, we had all these topics we want to talk about. So tell me about um, how difficult it was moving into becoming a, a female boxer, going into the fitness industry. How, how was it? difficult from your perspective being Asian, Bangladeshi? Um, what, what did you come across? What challenges did you notice that perhaps other people wouldn't, so, wouldn't see? So you've got to remember this is going back in 2004. Um, uh-huh. We didn't have social media. We didn't have anyone to compare ourselves to. So I didn't see myself as anything but other than just 
defining myself with Renazia Katuno. I only went by a name then. Mm-hmm. I was a woman and a woman of color, Bangladeshi. All of that didn't really occur to me till later on in life, what a struggle it was um, to fit in or what my fight would be to be where I am today. And at that time, it was a very taboo topic, subject. When men saw me in the gym, being the only female there as of a different background, mm-hmm. it was seen as something that was wow. It was seen as, oh, wow, that's really unheard of. We haven't seen an Asian mm-hmm. fusion come through the doors and everything. Oh, they hit mm-hmm. with the men, you know. But I was very, very, um, how do I say it? introverted very shy so that boxing part of me made me very confident as well I guess now we have more females that look like me who are in the fitness industry Mm -hmm. who are boxing who are doing athletics who are doing sports going to the olympics and everything and it's important to touch on this word called representation this is what the fitness industry lacks because we don't showcase enough diverse people from different backgrounds Fitness mm. isn't just for one race. And how do we understand that is what we see on a day-to-day basis. Who's speaking about fitness? Who's preaching fitness? Who's doing fitness? Like last week, they had this um, fitness summit. And it was just very sad to see that there were not enough people from my background. One, because mm-hmm. it's not a priority for females in different cultural backgrounds. And maybe we don't have enough Asian representation out there for them to say, oh, can you come and talk on a panel? So it's changing, but we still have a lot of work to do. And it's important that we understand that representation matters. It matters so much. So when I show up on my Instagram and my social media, it's showcasing females that sports really helps you. Mm -hmm. Your personality, your emotions, forget about looking good. I'm not Mm -hmm. here to help you look good. That's a bonus for me that you need to It's about helping your emotions before anything else. So it's changing, but at the time it was difficult for me. Hmm. And how did your, obviously yourself, the work that you did on yourself, how has that helped you um, become the person you are now based on those uh, lack of representation in the industry? Has it, has it helped? Do you feel that because there is a lack of representation, it's given you opportunities or it's disadvantaged you? No, I didn't, you know, it's funny, Dr. Ruth, today I was thinking this while I was getting ready. When I came into the industry, a lot of people said to me, oh, you can't even um, take, you can't draw blood out of a stone when it comes to Indians, right? This was the misconception we had wow. about, even I had it, right? And I said, hang on a minute. And I did a lot of research around my community. We spent a lot of money on clothes. We spent mm-hmm. tons of money on weddings. We mm-hmm. spent a lot of, lot of money on jewelry. Why? Because mm-hmm. we want to look good. So there mm-hmm. is money in the pot. So I mm-hmm. spent the first three years of fitness, being a fitness coach, was showing value to people by my social media. I didn't realize I was doing it, but I was just putting my thoughts out there. And slowly, slowly, people became more aware of who I was in my community, what my brand stood up for. And every day I was putting these dialogues up, articles up, helping people for free in the background. And I realized I actually hit the jackpot when it came to putting my price at a certain level 
and creating these programs. And it didn't become a disadvantage. I probably became one of the elite coaches out there who was serving my market. And right now we have to do more to help more people. So if I can um, put my services out there for people to learn more, then it's, it's my, how do I say it? I'll be doing a disservice if I didn't do it. So I have, yeah. I have to do it now because people need you it. You have to. Yeah. Because <laughs> people yeah. need it and they do. And, yeah. you know, given the climate we're in today, having yeah. yourself representing, um, you know, female Asian women who, who are powerhouses um, that mm -hmm. can showcase what you are, you know, what people can do if they really put their mind to it and they really want to, then I think it's just so so important and i just want to um finish off with a question um because this yeah. show is all about brain health um and unchaining your pain what what one piece of advice would you give anybody who has been through um depression and has struggled what what one piece of advice would you give them um to help them through it what would be your advice so that they can really unchain their pain um <laughs> i think it's like don't go the world needs you like don't give up on yourself I know you can relate to this as well because when you feel suicidal, you feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. But when you come out of it, you look back and you think, thank God I didn't give up. Mm. Thank God I didn't do it. Mm. I think that's the bottom line of it. Just the world needs you. We need people. The world needs you. You may feel, yeah, you may feel insignificant in your normal world, but there's somebody out there who bounces off your energy, who loves you. And I think my clients give me that hope that I'm needed in this space, in this world, that I'm loved. And that's all we want is to be loved mm. and make sure that we're needed. Yeah, that is really... Music. No, that's beautiful. And I think there's always somebody at the end of that tunnel that needs, needs you, isn't yeah. there? So that's yeah, really definitely. beautiful. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you so much for being on the show. If people want to get hold of you, how can they get hold of you? Yeah. Um, on my email, info, info at com, or you can find me on social media, Fitness Reborn UK 1. <laughs> I forget what my <laughs> handle is now. <laughs> yeah. Or just, and they'll be posted in the show notes as well. So hopefully everybody yeah. will be able or to the find other one other one is just google my name <laughs> yes with a k-h-a-t-u-n as shown below just yeah. to make sure they can find you yeah. brilliant that's great so this show is all about brain health unchaining your pain it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for being so open and for being willing to go deep and remember for those listening that you not stuck with the brain you have you can make it better and you have the power to truly unchain your pain. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Ruth. I really enjoyed this. You're welcome. Thanks, Nazia, for coming on. This broadcast is brought to you by Winject Studios. We are an all-in-one educational platform for podcasters that revolutionizes how hosts leverage content to increase engagement with listeners, downloads, and income. 
we come together to focus on community, collaboration, and collective impact. For more information on how you can interact directly with our hosts, access exclusive live content with offers you can't get anywhere else from our official partners, join our purpose-driven community by visiting www.winject.com. If you're ready to build a career doing what you love, then we're ready to see you there.